Amen. I need you to open your Bibles <laughs> to Hosea chapter 3. We are, we are in the book of Hosea. Amen. We are continuing to, to walk through this book. And we've come to chapter 3. Five verses of scripture. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read Hosea chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet and love a woman beloved of another man, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love raising the sacred raisin cakes. Some of your translations may say flagons of wine. So I brought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and half a homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So I will be for thee also. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the later days. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would use me for this time to speak to your people a word of encouragement, a word that will challenge us, and a word that will convict us. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you today about the price of love. The price of love. We come to chapter 3, the shortest and the most profound chapter in this book of 14 chapters. What makes it so profound is that of its placement. Chapter 1 gives Hosea instructions. He told him to go marry a woman of promiscuity. And he told them, we learned of their, their children that they had. I want to put this right here. Never judge because you never know what God is going to ask you to do. Chapter 2, we read of his wives and of his wife and the sins that she committed. And in chapters 4 through 14, God lays a case and a plea for the offenses. You got a second? All right. It would seem that this chapter about love and redemption should be the final chapter, not chapter 3. And I'll reveal why it's not later. But first, let's put ourselves in the shoes of a prophet. Hosea, his name means to save or to deliver. Hosea is one of the minor prophets, not because he was playing a minor in the minor league or playing a minor role, but because, because we know that his assignment was major. He was only minor in the length and the number of prophecies that he spoke. But God is no respecter of person, so never despise your assignment. No matter how big or small it may look in the eyes of others, God has a plan. 
One of the major roles of the prophet is that they must embody the message of that they are to deliver. We talked about that a little bit on Thursday night, but I told you that today we were going to go a little deeper into that. I need you to turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 4. Turn in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. And as I said, the main, one of the major roles of a prophet is that they have to embody the message that they are to deliver. So Ezekiel chapter 4, 5 through 6 says this. He says, For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days. So shall you bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. This is God talking to Ezekiel. And when you have accomplished them, lie again on your right side, and you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days, as I have appointed the each day for a year. So I want you to understand this. Israel's iniquities, the year that Israel went through was 430 days. So I, Ezekiel was to lie on his side for 390 days, right? And then on the other time, he was supposed to turn and lay another 40 days. That was, that was a physical expression of what Israel was going to encounter spiritually. Now, it's hard to get a church to fast for two days, you know, to do anything for a couple of days. But the prophet, he had to lay on one side for 300, a whole year of laying on one side, and then for 40 more days, turn and lay on the other side. And that was going to represent the years of Israel's iniquity. Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet, because he felt the burdens of God. He felt the physical burden of the God of the word that God had given him. So he would always cry because the burden was so heavy. Isaiah also suffered rejection and ridicule because of his message. The burden of the prophet is no easy task. So at this point, at this point in Hosea's life, we're not even given a timeline of where they are in the relationship. But we know that they have to have three, they had three children. Right. So let's just say we're nine months apart. That was that's 27 months. That's two and a half years. At least Hosea was married to this woman. Right. To a, a lot can happen in two and a half years. A lot can happen. And let's not also forget that he's a prophet. He's a well-known prophet. He's a big figure in the community. And he has without a doubt preached against the very thing he is now involved in. Remember, I told you, don't ever judge the assignment God gives you because as soon as you judge somebody else's assignment, never judge God's servant because you don't know what God is going to ask you to do. I'm, I can imagine being a prophet. He spoke against adultery because it was written in the law that you're not supposed to be an adulterer or a sinner. And now God has given him a commandment to go marry a prostitute. <laughs> People are definitely talking. His children are the scandals in the town. Oh, Hosea, isn't that your father? Isn't that the one who's preaching against, you know, coming against us and telling us that what God is going to do? Isn't he the one that's married to this prostitute? Yeah, I ain't going to say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> 
But how does this help his message? I believe it, it helps his message because it's supposed to give him a heart of compassion. Remember Jonah, who didn't want to go preach to Nineveh? He felt he was going to judge Nineveh. He didn't want to give Nineveh to him. And then God had to sit him down and give him the example of what he was because Jonah was so self-righteous in his message that he didn't want to go preach deliverance. So I want you to get that in your mind. I wanted you to understand the picture of what Hosea is actually feeling and what he, the assignment that God has given him to do. So as we jump into the text, I want to make I want to make this point. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's purposes always disrupt man's principles. You understand? So I, I, whatever our principles may may be, God is God enough to go ahead and get, make sure that his purpose comes to fruition regardless of what we think. Because the Bible says that he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Nobody would have ever thought in their wildest dreams that God would give a prophet this command. Right. But he did. So let's go. Let's look at it. Let's look at this short little text of Hosea, five verses. And we're going to discover a few things. Anybody getting anything so far? Amen. 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 Glory. Amen. All right. He says to him, the Lord said unto him, go again and love a woman beloved of another man, an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes, the flag wise. The instruction is to go again, go again. We have no patience when it comes time to matters of the heart. We don't have any patience when it comes to things that have to concern our hearts. God doesn't give him instruction to fall in love. He tells him to go love. He says, go again. I understand that you got married. Your heart is broken. You can't, can't understand. But I need you to go again. Now, let me go ahead and put this, this pastor's clause in this message. Hosea was anointed for this task. So you can't just go out and say, well, I'm going to go marry a prostitute. Because God gonna, you, you have to be in tune with the voice of God and his assignment for your life. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a whole lot of trouble. Amen. So let say so if until your life is an example, mm -hmm. until your life is is an example, until you're fully committed to Lord to the Lord and you're in relationship with God, He will not call you to such a severe type of an example, so that you don't get it messed up. I, in other words, Hosea was equipped for the assignment that God given had given him. He didn't allow, his circumstances wasn't to go back. He wasn't a man that was involved with promiscuous women. He was a man that was devoted to God and heard the word of the Lord that told him to go do this thing for this purpose. So that's, that's the separating factor. Because a lot of people want to say, well, you know what, and I can go, I can go get with my past boyfriend who was no good for me because God is telling me to go again. God is not telling you to go again. Right, right. Somebody say amen. 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 So, but what he does is he gives them instruction and he says, because we don't have patience, he, he doesn't tell him to go fall in love. He says, go love. I want to tell you this. Love is a command, not a condition. Mm 
Love is a command, not a condition. We do not fall in love because if you fall in love, you can fall out of love. Love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. It's patient, kind, long-suffering, bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things. That is a character that has to be developed. Love is God. And God is specifically telling Hosea to go love like I love. Don't, 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 don't worry about the condition that is going on, but go be love in spite of a condition. That is hard for us as Christians to go be the example of love rather than be, be because we think the conditions have to be right for us to love. That's, that's not God. Conditions do not have to be right for us to love. Amen. So not only that, but he tells him to go love somebody that is loved by another man. Now, brothers, I saved that message for another day. Sisters as well. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. let me just say this. You, you ever been in a relationship where, where you... you you love somebody. Me and my daughter would come home and we were listening to the old song by MC Light. Some of y'all that's past y'all age, but it was a song called Georgie Porgy that MC Light had out. And, and, and she had, there was a line in the song where she talks about it's okay if she has other boyfriends, if he has other girlfriends, side pieces, as long as she doesn't see him, see them, then it's okay. So but a lot of times you'll get, if, if you're in a relationship and somebody in that relationship has been unfaithful, one of the questions that come up is this question right here. Y'all know it before I'm about to even say it. Well, do you love them? See, because maybe we can work through the, the physical part of what you did, but if the emotions are tied to what you did, then we may have a problem. That's 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 the thought. So it's like, well, if you, no, no, I, I did it, but I don't love her. I, but this one says, Jose, God is specifically telling her to go get this woman back and love her, even though she is loved by another man. And she is an adulterer. That that is that is that is remarkable. That 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 calls for a supernatural type of love to be able to love somebody that is loved by somebody else. Because what this is saying is that Hosea, I want I feel my help. I want you to go show love to someone who is going to always be attacked by somebody or something else that is going to constantly come after. After it. Yep. Okay. My God. And, and, and he doesn't even tell Hosea, he doesn't even tell Hosea that he's going to deliver her from evil. He doesn't, it's something else to say, go love and I'll, and don't worry about Hosea, Hosea because I'm going to work on her character. I'm going to deliver her. It's going to be all right. He doesn't even give him that clue. So my question is, can you trust God when there is no word for a good outcome? Are you able to trust God when he doesn't say, I'm going to work it out? 
because we come into the relationship with God hoping and expecting that God is going to work this thing out. And we preach, you know, God is going to work it out. God is going to make a way. God's going to open the door. But I want to talk to some people that can trust God when God says, I'm not going to make a way. I'm not going to open the door. I'm not going to deliver you, but I'm still going to be God in your life. Yes, yes. Yeah, Hallelujah. It can never change. Notice, uh, notice the words just as. He says, he says, I want you to love just as. I want you to go love, love, love toward. I want it to be a love toward the children of Israel who look to other gods. Love this woman just as. That, that means that it is an exact replica, replica, not a knockoff, not an imitation. The command is to love just like the Lord loves. Just like he loves Israel. He said, I want you to go love them just like I love Israel. Check this out. This is so deep. Yet it's not. We are not only made in the image of God. We all know that we're made in the image, right? We, Genesis, we were created in the image of God. But I believe he also fashions situations so that the image can be revealed. He, he created us in his image. He put us in situations that don't look like him so that he can be revealed in a situation that doesn't look like him. He, he wants his people to come up out of darkness so that they can emerge as light. But you can't be light if it ain't dark. <laughs> Y'all better come on. He says, I want you to love Israel, though, they, in spite of, regardless of their actions. Gomer, Gomer was not thinking about being brought back. The Bible says it's not because that we first loved God, but it was because that God first loved us. He says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Gomer was out there doing whatever she was thinking that she was big and bad enough to do. She wasn't thinking about Hosea was getting ready to come and purchase her back. That's awesome because it means that whatever is about to happen is not about to happen because of anything we've done. It's all because of what God wants to do. Now, I'm going to go ahead and drop this, and we're almost done. I'm going to break this thing down real quick for you. I remember I said in the beginning of this message that I don't, if, if I was to write this book, I would have put this chapter at the end, not at chapter three, because this is the shortest chapter in this book, yet it is the apex of the whole book. God goes on to lay out the case from chapters 4 through 14. He tells us about the woman and the children and her, her, her promiscuity and her adultery in chapters 1 and 2. And then he slaps in, the, in chapter 3 this whole thing about going to buy her back and redemption. And I believe through my course of study that the reason chapter 3 is where it is is because he brought us back in spite of the fact of the case that is going to be laid. Y'all missed it. Beautiful. Yeah. You, you, you missed yeah. it. He, he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go already perform redemption and then I'm gonna make the case after. But I've already dealt 
with what I'm going to deal, deal with after. It's not based on their actions and what they do that's going to bring about chapter 3. It's everything that I'm going to do. So look what he does. Here's the indictment. He says that we look to other gods. The idols, we, they look to other gods in the raising case. This is very important because in Psalms 135, it talks about in verses 15 through 18, the idols of the nation are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear. Nor is there breath in their mouths, and those who make them are like those who trust in them. So, well, our sin is that we look to other gods. We, we already went through that last week, how we look when, when we get in trouble. Our, our bit is that we begin to look toward other things. We look to other things to, to comfort us, and that's idol worship. And not only that, we love the flagons of wine. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to tell you this. You cannot be spirit filled with the Spirit of God and Hennessy at the same time. Come on, come on. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be drinking Cristal and white wine and Kvassier or whatever it is you think you can drink and be filled with the Spirit at the same time. Amen. So I'm, 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 I'm telling you before we start going into deeper study, because, you know, well, is, is drinking going to send me to hell? I don't believe drinking will send you to hell. It's not the drinking that's going to send you to hell. It's getting drunk and what you're going to do while you're drunk that's going to send you to hell. So you need, you need to, if that is your struggle and if that is your issue, then you need to go ahead and let God deal with it because you cannot drink from the table of God and the table of demons at the same time. Amen? Amen. amen, amen. God better help me. You, you need to understand this. If you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you like he needs to flow through you, there can be nothing in there blocking that flow. And that's why those like Solomon and those who of the Bible times had took the Nazarene vow to never drink strong drink, to never cut their hair, to, to, to because God called us to be separate, to be um, set apart. So you, you, you got to you really have to understand that. Amen. Yeah. And, and let me tell you what these raisin cakes represent. Raisin cakes, it doesn't, it, it's not a, it, it doesn't represent something that, okay, if I go to Dunkin' Donuts, don't get anything with, with raisins or anything. It doesn't mean that you got to avoid the raisins. I, I need to tell you what this represents. The, the, the raisin cakes, the Hebrew word has to do, raisins have to do with the word pressing, right? Because raisins are grapes. Right? The grapes, we understand that when the grapes are pressed, as, as with olives when they're pressed. So it has to do with a pressing. It's talking about a cake of raisins, dried fruit, pressed and caked together in a specific shape. The cakes are mentioned in a few other places in the Old Testament. They usually represent no, they usually present no problem. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 12, pressed raisin cakes are administered to relieve the faint, a fainting slave. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, 18, 
They are a part of a generous list of foodstuffs provided by Abigail for David. In 2 Samuel 6.19 and in 1 Chronicles 16.3, David hands out raisin cakes to the people after a sacrifice in the temple as a sign of celebration and blessing. So the raisin cake seemed to be the ancient equivalent of really nice chocolate. Energy rich, delicious, and luxurious. In Isaiah 16, verse 7, they're used to represent all the lost prosperity of the nation of Moab. And we're told for the raisin cakes of Ker Hashem. But if raisin cakes are so great elsewhere in the Bible, why are they a problem in Hosea? Part of it is because they invoke a sense of luxury, the rich living which can distract people from God. In chapter 2, Hosea's wife Gomer talks about my wool, my linen, the olive oil, my drink. She decks herself with jewelry, going after lovers who she thinks can provide these things and forgot it was Hosea that gave them to her. It is a metaphor for the way God looks after his people and then is rejected by them. The same distractions are really literally theirs. They love the wine and they love the raisin cakes. They have forgotten the Lord is the one that maketh rich. Wealth made them complacent, believing in their own skills, their own capacities, their own ideas, their own strength, rather than worshiping God and giving gratitude. So the raisin cakes stand for flourishing vineyards, swelling bank accounts, and love of too much of these, you will begin to worship yourself instead of the God who made it. So they represent the, the, the thing that happens when we get distracted and a, a attitude of self-centeredness, pride, and willful rejection because we think we got it going on. But the Bible says in Philippians 4, 9, that it is God who supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory. So when it said that she loved and went after the raisin cakes, you have to be careful that we do not get so wealthy, so rich, so um, caught up on our ideas and what we do that we forget God because well, there's one thing that will always bring us to cry out for God when God touches your money you're going to be right on your knees when God starts going after stuff and stripping that's why he said I will strip her naked as she was in the day of her birth. Let us never be caught out there because we get complacent because God has blessed us so much. Amen. Here's what happens. That was the indictment. So this is what Hosea does. It says that I brought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and for half a homer of barley. Verse 2, he buys us. The value of a thing is based on what somebody is willing to pay for a thing, right? right? The going price of a slave was 30 shekels of silver. I need you to catch this. Remember, Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So Hosea goes and he's, he only has 15 shekels of silver. So he's grabbing other stuff to make up the other 15. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means that God is willing to go to great lengths to buy us back. Mm 
that we see when 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 we don't have enough he, he's looking for everything so he will he will take everything that is in his storehouse to pay for this woman in spite of the fact that she was out there living a worthless lifestyle Jesus somebody say thank God for buying us back Thank God for buying us back. And in verse 3, he says, I said to her, you shall abide with me many days. You shall not play the harlot. You will not be for another man, so I will be for you. He puts borders around us. He puts, not only does he buy us back, he puts borders around us. The Bible says abide in me and I'll abide in you because you cannot do anything on your own. You were brought with a price. He places a hedge of protection around us. In Leviticus chapter 20, 26, the Bible says that God severed us from the nations and he called us to be holy. So what Hosea is telling her is, listen, I paid for you. Now you need to abide with me. The blessing is in the abiding. At that, God, God puts a hedge around us and he calls us to be separated from other nations. We can't just come into the house of God and still be connected with things that are against his will. Then in verse two, verse four, we almost there. He says, the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, and without a teraphim. That's where God breaks us. We have to learn how to, we have to learn how to embrace seasons of without. I knew I wasn't going to get no amens there. The space, remember we were talking about Thursday night when, where, where there's spaces between times, the 400 years, the 900 years of silence between the old and the new covenant, but how it seemed like God wasn't saying anything at times. But even though God wasn't speaking, yeah. he was still doing something. Yeah. He was still working. Yes. We got to know that it's in them times that God, we got to learn how to embrace times of silence. Learn how to learn how to understand that it's, it's in them times that God is still doing a great work. And just because God is not speaking doesn't mean that he's not working. Because he's always working something out. Right. But he wants them to understand that, that until we until we go to a, through a time where there's nothing, then that's the time. Uh, there will be no time that we cry out to God. It's during them times where it seems like there's lack, when God is provoking us to cry out to him more. Where we're getting our relationship with God is drawing nigh. And so he says this, verse 5, and in my close, he says, afterwards, after, after the without, after the drying up, after the, the things began to look like it's missing, then the children of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God, David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness all the days, all, the, all in the later days. That's where the blessing comes. So she was out there, he went and brought us back. He paid for us, brings us back, tells us to sit still understands that even though we're without even in the times of without as long as we're with him we can be without mm. and then he blesses her. He's, the blessing is in the returning 
The blessing is in the seeking. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. The blessing says that he's, she's going to be looking for David. That's leadership. You got to understand that there's a blessing and honoring your leadership. There's a blessing and, and being faithful to what God has called you to be faithful. And then he says, I, I'm going to bring about a true blessing in the later days. The wisdom is the blessing of the later days. So as I close this message talking about the price of love, listen to this. God made an investment and knows how to hold out until the value of that investment increases. Mm -hmm. You understand? A lot of times when you get into investing things, you got to know that when you buy something, it may not be a value yet, but the longer you hold it, the more valuable it becomes, right? Yeah. So God buys shares in what nobody else will invest in. When people are pulling out, God is putting in. Right. Jesus. Yes. Because he knows that one day what they did not want, they're going to want more of. Right, right, right. They're going to desire what he invested in. And I believe that's what God does with his people. He buys us, he sets us apart, he fills us with his spirit. He moves in us and he, he brings up our value. And the price of love is who is willing, being willing to invest. If you're not, you can't say you love something if you're not willing to invest in it. Yeah. You can't just say because love is an action word. So if you're going to love, you got to be willing to invest. Our sister, my yes. judge said, you yes. know, we got to be, we, we, we need to come together and God is working on relationship. But relationship can't be built where there's no investment. Yeah. And so the more we give into, the more we invest time. The more we invest our talents, the more we invest our treasures, that's when the value of something increases. Yeah. That's why the body of Christ is so valuable yeah. to others, and others can just do without it. Because when you invest in something, you can't do without the house of God. Amen? Amen. And you got to understand that when you invest, God says, I want you to invest not in good stock. I want you to invest in God's stock. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Stock that never loses its value. It doesn't fluctuate because of what's going on around it. And the blood is the greatest purchasing power. We were brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And as long as the value of what has paid for us is greater than that which is after us. Right, right, right. We right. are always going to have victory. Yes. And we can say with boldness, like Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, pearl, sword, as it is written, all day long we are being killed. We are being counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, all these things, that includes Corona, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, nor powers, <coughs> nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, debt, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. The price that he paid. Somebody give God some praise. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you, God, for this word.
Hallelujah. We thank God for his word. I want you to be encouraged no matter what's going on. God paid a high price for us. And he's not going to allow anything that comes our way or comes after us to go ahead and defeat us. You got to know that. As we get closer and closer to an end of a thing, let us not lose hope on what, what the big picture is. That we continue to do the work that Lord, the God has called us to do. That we continue to stand firm. That we continue to trust and believe God. So Father, I pray protection over your people. I thank you, God, that you've given us strong soldiers, people who are willing to trust your word, trust in even what things that they can't see, that knowing that, God, you are in control. We thank you that you're raising up an army, a mighty army, and we give you glory for it. So as we go through this day, let this word seep into our heart, thanking you for the price that you paid for sending your only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We know that we don't live in condemnation. You didn't wait for us to get perfect. We already know we are not perfect. We don't have to think we're cursed. We don't have to think that hey, just because something touched us, where there's, where there's something wrong in our life, because God, we all got a little bit of wrong in our life. But we thank you for the right in our life, and that's you. It's by your righteousness, by your blood, that we stand full. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen.